on, man. We can can go look at some crazy things on the internet together. Rudy's revelation. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Finding revelation in the news and meaning in the media. It is October 9th, 2023. As I do every Monday, I'll be giving a Sunday review of the mainstream media. So this week on Face the Nation, uh, Maggie Brennan talked to Nancy Mace, who is a representative of South Carolina, purple South Carolina, one of eight Republicans who voted to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. And she talks about supporting Representative Jim Jordan for Speaker and then is quickly derided by Maggie Brennan because Liz Cheney doesn't like Jim Jordan. Like, that's any reason not to have him as House Speaker. Uh, Liz Cheney, by the way, was resoundedly voted out of office. She she lost her primary. Also on CBS Sunday Morning Propaganda, MSNBC... (laughs) MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, author of a new book called Prequel, talks with a CBS correspondent, Rita Braver, about the left's fight against fascism which they equate with conservative politics and conspiracy theories and what they call the ultra-right-wing propaganda. They don't even really know what fascism is, and I'm going to lay that out as I play their segment um, from the propaganda show, CBS Sunday Morning, which used to be a great news feature show with Charles Kuralt, but it's no longer that. Um, don't forget you're under attack psychologically, biologically, and I lay that out uh, every day, Monday through Friday, on the podcast. So let's get into it. All right, so let's let's go ahead and get into the New York Times, the Sunday New York Times, uh, and I'll show you how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the facts to mislead the public. I would be remiss not to talk about what happened in Israel. And I'm just, I'm not gonna go into the article here where now it says we are at war, Netanyahu says after Hamas attacks Israel. And if you didn't know what happened, Palestinian militants from Gaza launched, there are actually a lot of Egyptians in there, launched an early morning assault on Southern Israel, invading towns and firing thousands of rockets. But the actual headline uh, on Sunday was Palestinian militant stage attack on Israel, which was true. But they keep saying Palestinian when it was actually Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran has claimed some responsibility for backing this attack, which many, many people have said that if you pay or you remit $6 billion back to Iran uh, during a hostage exchange, and Trump even said this, that you are going to incentivize more hostage-taking by Islamic militancy. Now, I have a whole thing I'd like to talk about Islamic militancy, and as I've said on the podcast before, 
that Islamic militancy is supported uh, by the powers that be uh, the progressive left, and they actually had an alliance with the Wahhabists in Saudi Arabia, and there's a whole, you could digress into this for a long time, but the CIA uh, was responsible for madrasas in Pakistan that were actually teaching children uh, about the Quran, but in a militant way and demonizing uh, Westerners. So there's a whole propaganda and uh, 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 education in Islamic militancy. And as I stated before, is that if you give the Iranian government who said that they're going to use the $6 billion however they see fit, they will reward families of Islamic militants who carry out either suicide attacks or attacks on Israel or Western targets or whatever. So, but if you put it in the political context, everything is failing for the establishment. So uh, last week I said, well, there's going to be some sort of crisis. I said it could be a school shooting or an Islamic attack or something that's going to um, suck up all the media attention. And this will for weeks and possibly months. There was some speculation that they were going to escalate the war in Ukraine, which is sort of a dead end. And not only that, but escalating the war in Ukraine when it was found out that the majority of Americans don't support the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, much. I mean, if you were watching the mainstream media, you would never know that, but that is indeed the case. And so they had to come up with something else, and here it is. So however you want to piece it together, qui bono, who benefits, Nothing is a coincidence. Nothing happens in a vacuum. There are powers at play here. There's mo- it takes money to do anything. And so who's funneling the money where and for what purpose? What, what does this mean? It's not just, and it's a very divisive uh, political argument. You see there's some people supporting Palestine. There's some people supporting Israel. This benefits uh, BB, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and Mossad is like one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. How would they miss this? It's like when a Saddam Hussein attacked Kuwait right after meeting with the American ambassador, April Gillespie. How did we, with all our satellites, we didn't see Iraq uh, mounting, uh, massing forces on the border like we did with Russia. I mean, it's just ridiculous that there is no way with all the human intelligence and all the uh, electronic surveillance, and Israel has satellites, if you didn't know that, how did this uh, How did this take place? It's, it's a lie hop for sure because it benefits Benjamin Netanyahu, who's a hawk, um, and he is in trouble at home because of the parliamentary system, you only need like 30% of a majority, uh, 30% support to actually gain the, the presidency in Israel. And he was under fire for overhauling the judicial system, which a majority of Israelis were against. So you have to put it into context what's happening in the Middle East now in a, in a greater global context, because the progressives, the neoliberals are losing the battle um, worldwide. And you can see libertarian conservatives all over the world promising freedom and and an escape from socialist policies, especially socialist economic policies. 
and their crazy uh, pipe dream ideas about reshaping the world with the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and all that. All right, let's move on to the news. So, and this is from uh, Sunday, lawyers expand legal fight for longest held prisoner of war on terrorism. Abu Zabeda, one of the first prisoners waterboarded by the CIA who has never faced charges at Guantanamo Bay. So, I don't agree with the CIA, with anything the CIA does really, um, but waterboarding and torture, obviously I don't agree with that. However, in light of everything that has happened and Joe Biden and the Democrats who, who like to free Islamic terrorists from prison so they could reuse them on the battlefield, um, here are taking the sides of, of this Abu Zabeda, who is an Islamic terrorist. Um, he never faced charges for 9-11, but that doesn't mean he's an Islamic, Islamic terrorist. And the United States unlawfully set up these clandestine um, black sites and and this military tribunal prison, you, you know, in Cuba, which has a different set of rules than if, if people were held, held here in the United States. I don't agree with a lot of that. But they're talking about um, expanding a legal fight and, and the New York Times comes on, on the side of this poor guy who's being held so they could free him to launch more Islamic attacks. And like I said, the, the left controls Islamic militancy. Uh, controls, controls, like hands-on, no, but it's all where you put the money, who you ally with, and how you uh, disseminate uh, certain propaganda. Uh, and in this case, it's religious propaganda, uh, fanaticism uh, surrounding uh, Islam. And if you look in Islamic Sufism and Islamic mysticism, you'll get a, a good idea of what the religion is all about. But Wahhabist forms, or even if you're not Sunni, if you're in the Shiite, there is some militancy involved. And with good reason, it was propped up because just like they did with socialism, you do something that you know is going to elicit a, a, a response. Like American imperialism is going to elicit, you know, a response from Islam or modernity, you know, pushing modernity everywhere is going to, um, uh, uh, you know, elicit a response from traditionalism, especially the progressive modernity that's being pushed by the neoliberal. But I don't want to digress too much into that. So, Next story up here from the New York Times, migrant crisis tests New Yorkers who thought they supported immigration. Yes, indeed. As the city's resources strain under the influx of thousands of migrants, New Yorkers are still resolutely in favor of welcoming newcomers. But for how long? Not true. There is a great deal of progressivism in New York City. Uh, New York State is more Republican, um, and there are Republicans in 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 New York, uh, Long Island, um, but even in New York City, um, Staten Island, what have you. Um, so that's, it's not unusual, but the, the progressives outnumber, um, you know, and the thing is, it's all tribal. You know, when you're a progressive, you're progressive on one issue, you have to support all the progressive issues. You got to support abortion and uh, you got to support you know, uh, gender queer theory in schools and CRT in schools and what have you. But the point is most of the liberals I talk to, and not even moderate liberals, most of the 
you know, staunch liberals don't support open borders. It's not just illegal immigration or how you treat the illegal immigrants. It is the volume because if you fling open the doors, you're incentivizing people to come here, obviously, and then you have to pay for them like in New York City and they're already $6 billion in the hole. So the fact is um, most liberals that I talk to don't support open borders. They thought they supported immigration. And this is the fact that they mischaracterize this whole argument. It's not about immigration. They try, that's why they try to make this whole racist thing. It's not about immigration, it's about illegal immigration. I'm for, I'm considering myself now leaning right, uh, libertarian who leans right. Uh, I'm certainly fiscally conservative. Um, but then that's the whole point behind immigration is you can't, you don't have the money to help these people. So you can't help everybody in the world. So it's not immigration. I support immigration. It's illegal immigration and mostly with unskilled labor. So there has to be some sort of balance. And me and my Asian philosophy, I often um, support and um, promote a balanced approach. Just a balanced approach all around, you know, whether it's emotional versus intellectual, right versus left. Um, you know, I could go on and on. So so this is from the UK. An officer is charged with murder. Colleagues briefly dropped their guns. The actual headline in the newspaper was officers in Britain refused to carry guns in protest. This is ridiculous. Disarming yourself makes you a victim to violent criminals. Violent criminals don't pay attention to the law. Obviously, they're criminals. So a violent criminal will carry a unlicensed, an illegal gun, an and and they will use it in violent manner illegally, obviously assault with a deadly weapon or otherwise is illegal. So what do you, I mean, this is just ridiculous. So law abiding people should have the means to defend themselves against armed criminals. So you have to understand is that, you know, okay, I'll take, you know, I'll be like Sean Hannity and train MMA or I'll take jujitsu or whatever. That's not gonna help you with a criminal with a gun. And most criminals who have guns have them illegally. And especially if they're felons, they can't obtain a gun legally. Most of the gun control is against law-abiding citizens. It's not keeping the hands out of, keeping guns out of the hands of criminals. There's laws against that. This is about disarming the public, so you have to rely on the state for protection. And the state could withdraw that protection at any time or allow crime like they're doing now in blue cities to run rampant, and so you feel scared. And if you feel scared and threatened, that you lean more on the state. I mean, it's just, it's simple psychology. Uh, but people don't wanna talk about simple facts and, and you know objective reality they all want to talk about their ideology and their subjective beliefs whether it's shared or what have you the reality is in most blue cities crime is getting worse all since 2020 with this whole victimization and oh the police are a bunch of nazis running around you know come on you know killing killing people um and I'm not saying they aren't illegal killings or there aren't um, uh, police officers who assault uh, innocent citizens. That does happen, but most of the time they're not innocent. Um, you know, if you run away from police and they shoot you and they're yelling to stop, 
or the like pe most people don't understand the law and so they police try to put you under arrest, which is within their rights to do, and you struggle, you resist arrest, and then you run. Um, you can't do that. I'm sorry, whoever you are, you can't run away from police. You cannot resist arrest. The best thing to do is sit on your hands and say, yes, sir, no, sir, and figure it all out after it's done. You don't run away from police. Because, and especially if you resist arrest, the police get really freaked out about it. And I'm, I'm not a fan of police because police usually overstep their investigative bounds and, and act proactively, which I don't like. It's like they're trying to find crime where there is none to prevent crime. Um, and then they don't react to actual crime. Next story up from the New York Times, House Speaker Ukraine war border wall, Trump's influence reaches a post-presidency peak. The actual headline in the newspaper was Trump exerts influence amid Republican leadership void. The point is Trump was a good president. Everything you, if you're a progressive listening to this, you probably aren't, but if you're a conservative and you're listening to this or a Republican, you need to tell your liberal friends is that they are under influence. They are under, I hate to say mind control, but everything they've been told about President Trump is a lie. You might not like President Trump personally, but it's not about personality. It's about policy. There is a bit of a personality cult around Trump. I'm not part of that. I never really liked Trump before, or, you know, with his little TV show there, The Apprentice. You know, I didn't care about that. I don't really care for his look or his mannerism or even what he tweets necessarily. But it's his policy, particularly his stance against TPP in China, which I was most interested in, but it turned out his economic, you know, he had Kudlow on his team, so his economic policies were sound. His foreign policy was sound, it's been proven before, um, you know, to act strongly um, and hold your cards close to your vest, whatever. He was a better president than Joe Biden, and as we saw, with the progressives, what they want to do is unravel everything and destroy, you know, and it used to sound like political rhetoric, destroy America. They're really destroying America. What they do is unconstitutional in most cases. You have people that swear to uphold the Constitution then turn around and try to undermine the Second Amendment. How is that, you know? And if you, and you'll hear Nancy Mace later, which I'm not a big fan of Nancy Mace. She votes, if you look at her voting record, she does some good, take some good votes and she has some good proposals and what have you and, but she's a political animal and she's lives well she represents a purple district so she's got to appeal to both parties which is a worry for me obviously but you'll see what she states is that there's a law that you're supposed to there isn't a balanced budget amendment which there should be but there's a law that you should have a budget ready by the end of september and they continually skirt that law and put put out uh, continuing resolutions or omnibus bullshit. And they're spending they're spending more when we're taking in taxes, which means we have to borrow, which means that undermines the currency. But you know, I could digress on this forever. Uh, this is an interesting story. An eight-year-old boy at the heart of a fight over Tibetan Buddhism. He may have to defend the faith in Mongolia against pressure from China's ruling Communist Party. We, you know, the, the Communist Party is just ruling China. They're, they don't own the shit. I mean, this is ridiculous. The, the 
communists have been in, in power since the late 40s. And we put them there and we emboldened them throughout time. And this is where, this is the disconnect with the story by David Pearson is if you know, uh, if you don't know the Dalai Lama, how the Dalai Lama is chosen, you should see Kundun. It was a Steven Spielberg movie. It's about um, the finding of the Dalai Lama and how the Dalai Lama is protected. But in this case, this is the Bogud, the Bogdi, um, which is in, like the third down from uh, the Dalai Lama. And then there's the Pension Lama, um, which as a child was kidnapped by the communist Chinese. And, but this is the Bogda. Um, and, and so it's a child that they found, that they do this test to figure out who the, you know, who this um, spiritual leader is in Mongolia. In Tibetan Buddhism in Mongolia, he's the top notch. And so they find these children and then just like the Dalai Lama was found, and then they're promoted through Tibetan Buddhism. And you should read about it. It's very interesting. But the problem here is that, that they get it close, but they call it the Chinese Communist Party and not Communist China. So this is the problem with the times. They either say China and then they don't refer to the Communist Party that rules China, or they said the Chinese Party that's governing China right now, which is just, it's ridiculous because when they talk about business, and trade deals, they don't talk about communist China. But here they do because they have to, because it's integral to the story. The Chinese party, uh, and nobody, where's the free Tibet? You know, where are the free Tibet people now? Nobody's free Tibet. Now you can't talk about communist China at all. But communist China is trying to get to this kid and, and stamp out uh, the importance of Tibetan Buddhism uh, in communist Chinese held territories. So I didn't want to digress too much into that. And just ending up here, before we get into the opinion, uh, I only have one opinion piece I want to get into, but Russell Baptiste Jr., if you don't know who this guy is, the drumming heartbeat of New Orleans dies at 57, a pyrotechnic funk and R&B mainstay, if you don't know who the meters are, it was an offshoot of the Neville Brothers. Uh, one of the Neville Brothers started this funk group, The Meters. They were excellent. I saw them many times in New Orleans at Tipitina's when Tipitina's was still open, but at other clubs as well. Great, great, great drummer, but in good shape because if you're a drummer, you're usually in good shape. Did he die of an overdose? No. Did he die of uh, choking on his vomit after a night of binging alcohol? No. Apparently, he died of a heart attack in his sleep. What does that sound like? I'm sure, like many uh, people that tour, uh, you got to fly in an airplane and you got to get back in the country. So what do you have to be if you get back in the country? You have to be vaccinated. And the one opinion piece I'm taking from the Sunday New York Times today is the climate fight will be won in the appliance aisle in this guest essay by Robinson Meyer, this jerk, um, but the real headline in the newspaper was the climate fight takes on appliances. And this is about, he says the IRA, but it's the Inflation Reduction Act, which, which is like the Affordable Care Act, which wasn't anything like that. The bloated spending in the Inflation Reduction Act, which was really just the Green New Deal Act, um, rebranded. Um, didn't do anything for, to reduce inf uh, uh, infl uh, inflation. 
it, it, it actually increased it because you're borrowing money you don't have, which which um, undermines the currency, devalues the currency, causes inflation. And I'm not going to really read from this. Basically, he says uh, there's a rebate for um, uh, 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 environmental-friendly po uh, policies, appliances, particularly um, solar panels, and other appliances that are, you know, use less energy, which are energy efficient. And he says the only people that can afford these things to get, because you have to pay for it in advance and then you get the rebate, it says it's not fair to poor people. And he goes on to say that I hope this program and many like it are going to help us fight climate change, which is all a lie because anthropogenic or man-made climate change is a lie not that the climate isn't changing but to blame it on human activity is uh is, is misdirection really and is blaming human activity for something that may or may not be connected um and he goes you know goes on to 137 billion in announced clean energy investment only 37 billion just 27 percent has started to flow just what I was saying before about he doesn't understand that this increases inflation. If you borrow money that doesn't have a direct need and, and you're borrowing, again, you know, way and far beyond what you could pay back, if you only 37 billion out of 137 billion has started to flow since the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed last year, um, isn't flowing. So that raises inflation. There is a, a recent precedent for such failure, although Americans now approve of the Affordable Care Act. No, they don't. The law was blamed for Democrats' losses in 2010. And he's saying that uh, the Inflation Reduction Act bloated spending is going to unfairly, unfairly affect Democrats. No, it's going to affect them fairly because it's bloated spending. Uh, people's buying power has fallen cultivating a hatred of clean energy transition among voters, failing rebate wins next, you know, failing rebate programs for consumers would be a gift for them, a gift to them, to, to Republicans, to Trump. And if Mr. Trump wins next year, his team will have plenty of opportunity to undermine the IRA's emission cutting policy. Oh, cut those emissions, are so important. Uh, all a lie. I'm not for pollution, I've said this many times, but Gasoline-powered energy is the cheapest form of energy on the planet, and it helps the poor the most. If you raise energy costs through all this uh, um, cockamamie bullshit, this mythology around um, man-made climate change, uh, it's, it's bad for the poor worldwide. And he ends up here saying the climate fight will be waged in the streets, but it'll be won in the appliance aisle. That, that's the whole thing. We can't have incandescent light bulbs because somehow if I burn an incandescent light bulb, which I like, I like the color of the light, um, I'm somehow, uh, you know, sinning against environmental policies or creating climate change with my light bulb. It's ridiculous. And so we're going to go now to Nancy Mace and we're going to end up with Rachel Maddow. But let's go to Nancy Mace first and how she defends her decision voting out Kevin McCarthy. I mean, she sided with Democrats. I don't know where she is. She's kind of a rhino, but let's just hear what she has to say because it is um, fairly important. 
Last week, eight House Republicans, joined by a unified Democratic caucus, voted to eject Congressman Kevin McCarthy from the position of Speaker of the House. One of those Republicans, Representative Nancy Mace, joins us. The reason you voted down McCarthy was because promises you were made were not kept. You've been working very hard on very specific issues for a very long time. When you shake a hand, make a promise, you ought to keep it. Well, first of all, he made a promise to our country that he would follow the law and present a budget and 12 spending bills. Um, there's a law from 1974, the Budget Impact and Control Act, that says we were supposed to do that. But Congress always manufactures an emergency every year, like they don't know that September 30th exists. Hey. And they skirt the law with CRs. Number one, I want a speaker who will keep their word and who will get the job done. This is about the future of our country and mortgaging our kids' future, and I'm unwilling to do that. Okay. Well, on the, the balanced budget amendment was introduced by you September 18th. Well, again, for me, it's someone that will keep their promises, that will keep their word, and not keeping, not kicking the can down the road. And it was a matter of trust, not just for me, but there were other members in our conference, there were members on both sides of the aisle. And it's very important that when we make a promise to the American people, we really ought to keep it. We've got to stand up for the people of our country. I'm going to stand up against the folks in Washington that want to do the same okay. thing we've always done. But again, when we make promises to our country, well, we ought to keep them. And I'm, well, I'm what, excited about the prospects of the speakers next week. What mm -hmm. fulfillment of those promises is required uh, for you? I mean, are, is that what you're asking of Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise, the two candidates? I have spoken mm -hmm. to both of them. Um, they are committed to bringing our party together and unifying and not uh, continuing the division that we have. And that's what we need to do. I think it's a okay. great opportunity. Could be cathartic for the party and could be very okay. positive next week. You voted to certify the 2020 election. <laughs> Steve Scalise did not. By CBS standards, that makes him an election denier. Is that disqualifying for you? I'm going to be supporting Jim Jordan for speaker for a number of reasons. I think that uh, his values, his work ethic, his ability to just run circles around everyone with regards to policy and pushing forward. Former Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who, as you know, is one of the lead investigators on the January 6th committee, um, warned Republicans against making him Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan knew more about what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th than any other member of the House of Representatives. And if the Republicans decide that Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. That is a chilling statement. Does it give you any pause? I got primaried because of my vote to certify, because yeah. I spoke out. Outright treason. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything. And I, but again, nothing's come out of the ethics committee. I also heard in the last couple of days, in terms of the retribution against Matt Gates, they were going to pull something out of ethics committee what? and get him back. There, I'm being threatened to be thrown off of my committees. I'm being what? threatened to be thrown out of the conference. They're threatening what? to take by my who? gavel away on oversight. There's just a lot of by fellow members. I mean, there was a letter signed on Friday, and so. I want to use this as an opportunity to say, I'm willing to work with anyone who's willing to work with me. We want mm -hmm. to move our country forward and unite during the speaker debate and the vote this week. Manipulated by lies, silenced by taboos. I don't make money from China, you do. I don't make money from Ukraine, you do. I don't make money from Russia. You made three and a half million dollars, Joe. Yeah. Um 
I don't know where I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big fan of Nancy Mace, but she put up um, a good argument regarding Jim Jordan and Scalise, both who Maggie Brennan took target at, one with listening to Liz Cheney, who the hell is she? She's not even an elected official. She was primaried and lost by a, a significant margin. But then she took aim at, at, at Scalise too because he didn't vote to certify the election. And it was just to pause to look into election re, uh, irreg irregularities that were there. So we're gonna move on to a segment from CBS Sunday Morning Propaganda where Rachel Maddow and Rita Braver tried to equate Nazis in the United States or otherwise, otherwise, and she talks about fascism, she doesn't know it. The real fascism was corporations working with the German government or corporations working with government to a political end. That's fascism, which she doesn't talk about that. She talks about individuals in the United States who sided with Hitler, which were not that many. There was the Bund, it, it, it was a political party. I'm not saying that it wasn't, but it didn't have overwhelming support. But the problem here is, is that she's trying to equate the Bund or 1930s American Nazis, which weren't even the really problem. The problem wasn't support in the United States for Nazis among the people, the electorate or the political uh, connotation. It was corporations that were, ha that were, that were supporting the Nazi regime. But she doesn't talk about that. She talks about people in the United States that may, and to be honest with you, there are people in the United States that are communists. We're, we don't put out books about the prequel of the over, you know, the the uh, uh, the communists taking over America, but she puts out this book, the prequel, that tries to equate the Bund and, and uh, uh, American Nazi political party which was small, it was just small at the time, with uh, current MAGA uh, Donald Trump supporters and conservatives, which is just, it's very sophisticated propaganda. And Rachel Maddow's from MSNBC, and they, they host her on CBS to promote her book and to pro promote this conspiracy theory that somehow there's uh, Nazis, anti-Semitic, white supremacists, you know, that... You know, make up a significant part of a political party, particularly MAGA or the conservatives, are just an untruth, a lie, a conspiracy theory. It doesn't exist. Not saying that there aren't Nazis or anti-Semitic white supremacists. They do exist, but the numbers are so small that they have to make up these lies. It's just, it's an untruth. So let's hear from Rachel Maddow. <laughs> Rita Braver is in conversation with Rachel Maddow. She shares a story most of us never learned from our history books. Rachel Maddow has spent the last few years sifting through a ream of sobering stories for her new book, Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. It was about white supremacy. Not only were there lots of Americans who didn't want us to fight, but there was a lot of them who wanted us to fight on the other side. What? With, with the, the Germans, Nazis. With the Nazis. Um, Maddow, who of course hosts a show on MSNBC, first explored the story in a series of podcasts focusing on surprising connections between Americans and Nazi interests. The organizational 
diversity of people who were on that side of the calculus ahead of World War II is shocking to me. There was a group of very far-right extremists that were meeting secretly all over. And this New York armory essentially became a supply depot for another anti-Semitic militia, the Christian Front. What? Murder a bunch of congressmen? Ah! To firebomb and bomb a bunch of sites in New York City? Ah! that they thought would be sensitive enough that they would set off essentially a race war. It was seen as a form of sort of patriotic anti-communism. House Un-American Activities Committee, which had just started, heard from a pair of witnesses who brought them a story about this place. These guys came to Congress and said, those Jews are plotting a takeover of the United States to destroy the United States and put the Jews in charge, and we're here to blow the whistle on it. What? And this conspiracy theory they hatched about this place, this room, was part and parcel of trying to turn Americans into feeling about the Jews the way Hitler was making Germans feel about the Jews. What? So this address right And Hitler had plenty of tentacles in the U.S., including right on Riverside Drive in Manhattan. So George Sylvester Virick lived here in a beautiful 10-room apartment. He was very well off. And the reason he was so well off is because he was the highest paid and most senior Nazi propaganda agent in the United States. Nazi propaganda into the United States. They'd persuade a member of Congress or a senator to put his or her name on it, insert it into the congressional record. Once it's in the congressional record, they can send it out in bulk all over the United States. A circus. The prosecution is actually presenting a pretty compelling case. And seven months into it, the judge dies. And this conspiracy theory and the American people start to turn their attention to the war rather than to any sort of fight like this at home. And this conspiracy theory and this conspiracy theory and this conspiracy theory. Though Maddow's book takes place three quarters of a century ago, there's a reason it's called prequel. And this conspiracy theory and this conspiracy theory and this conspiracy theory and this conspiracy theory. After all, it was written in the wake of the attack on the United States Capitol. What? <laughs> Do you think we are now seeing resurgence of fascism in our country? I think we are seeing another iteration of the ultra-right. And it has a lot of the elements that are the most worrying things that you look for when you're looking at a democracy that's in trouble of yielding to authoritarianism. We see violence intruding into the political process. We see the scapegoating of minorities and cons dangerous conspiracy theories about a rising anti-Semitism. No. Rising anti-Semitism is an absolute red flag. Anti-Semitism almost always goes with the rise in fascist ideation. And it's just something that we can't ignore. There's a history here that we ought to learn. Americans before us, just as smart, just as resourceful, just as funny, just as clear-minded as any of us could ever hope to be, fought those fights before us. We can learn from what they did. No. This conspiracy theory, and 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 this with Nazis from the 30s. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And the problem, you know what the problem with Rachel Maddow's? Does she talk about Operation Paperclip? How the government absorbed Nazi scientists, Nazis all over the place? 
Does she talk about uh, the Trudeau government is giving a, a round of applause for a Ukrainian Nazis? Does she talk about the Nazis in Western Ukraine, the nationalists, the Ukrainian nationalists? Does she talk about nationalism? Does she talk about fascism in the case of what fascism really is, which is a coordination between corporations, uh, other pillars of power, and the government? So, you know, Nazi fascism wasn't about right-wing ideation. Nazi fascism was about a, a, a conspiracy, a collection of authoritarianism between corporations, government, and particularly the Catholic Church. That was fascism. That's why the Catholic Church sided with Mussolini. That's what made it fascist. And corporate Italy. I really, corporate globalism, because there were American companies, Standard Oil, you know, IBM, and Thomas Watson got an award from Hitler. That's fascism. There is no... The, most of the supporters for Donald Trump are against corporate power. And the corporate power is shifted over to the left to support uh, the Biden administration. That's not surprising. Nobody wants to talk about this. The Republicans are racist. They're, they're fascist. They're, I mean, come on. The only people you hear that from are the far left, the communists. And the communists come up with this, these terms. Because everybody, everybody that's not, you know, doesn't support Mao or some redistribution of wealth or even my nephew talking about, I don't believe in private property and now my brother doesn't believe in private property. What the hell? You know, why not? I mean, come on. Anyway, it's it for me, Rudy's Revelation. Finding Revelation in the news immediately. Check me out tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a comment down below, share the podcast. And I'll see you tomorrow. You can't handle the truth. The New World Order.